This is First Contact, stories of the call center. Welcome to First Contact, stories of the call center podcast, where we share the stories of well-known thought leaders and discuss all things related to the contact center space. Join us in this journey to hear stories of success, failures, and lessons learned from the contact center world. This is brought to you by Nobel Biz, your one-stop shop for all your contact center carrier and software needs. All right, hey everyone, welcome to another episode of First Contact. We're really excited for today's guest because if you think about it, when we go back and talk about customer experience, we really wanted to find an expert. And that expert is here today with us with over 40 years of experience helping customers deliver excellent customer experience. Uh, absolutely one of the things that's in the contact center space that's critical for success is customer experience. And leading the Taylor Reach Group into success into this space for over 20 years, also is the CEO and CCO. Well, we'll talk about that later, but Chief <laughs> Chaos Officer and one of Canada's leading calls and contact center pioneers, leader and influencer is with us today. Colin Taylor, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining. Christian, it's my pleasure to uh, to, to, to be here. You know, I, I think I'm going to get a fat head if you keep saying nice things about me, though. Hey, look, if, if you have a life full of good stories, then that means that head is filled with a lot of things people want to hear. <laughs> and stories are definitely things that we want. And with that said, one of the pieces of our journey with this show is people's stories. Right. And mm-hmm. the theme is. How do people get into the contact center space? We always talk about it's not always people first thing when they think of a dream job, but we want to know your story. How did you even get in this space in the first place? Well, you know, working in a contact center is not something that kids growing up in the late 70s were aspiring to do. You know, you know, the guidance counselors couldn't even conceive that such jobs existed. We called them telemarketing shops at the time. Anyway, we didn't hadn't even invented the term contact center or call center yet. Yeah. Uh, but I uh, I had a, a part time job uh, flogging magazine subscriptions over the phone while going to school. Um, and then I had the dubious benefit of, of coming out of college in a recession where I couldn't get a job for love nor money in my educated field. Uh, so I went back to doing what I was doing, which was telemarketing. Um, and uh, I've never worked a day in my life uh, in my educated field. Um, and uh, everything has been uh, has been call contact center uh, customer interaction related. So uh, um, you know, it's uh, it's been a wild ride, but it's been it's been a lot of fun. So 76 is when I started flogging magazine su- subscriptions. So uh, it, it's been an interesting time. Well, it's interesting when you take into account your journey where, you know, a lot of times we talk about how people just fall into this space where it's just something that makes sense of the time. And so there seems to be a lot of people from a lot of walks of life and a lot of different times and chapters in their career. Can you talk about the benefit that you've seen from the diversity of this to the industry? Well, I, I, I think that, you know, calling contact centers until fairly recently was predominantly an accidental career. Nobody planned on doing it. They fell into it. It got assigned to them, you know, um, you know, or, you know, or they uh, had a part-time, what they thought was a part-time job that turned into a career. Um, And and I think that because, you know, contact centers are so ubiquitous to today, really every organization has one. Um, And like, you know, other corporate shared services like HR or IT, 
they're much more similar from organization to organization and vertical to vertical than than many other roles. So you tend to get people from all different walks of life being exposed to coming up through different organizations and entering into the contact center space. So, so that tends to mean that we're going to have a good breadth of, of skill, knowledge, and previous experience or different ex life experiences contributing to that. And then when we start to look at the global nature of contact centers, we talk about you know, the, the initial first wave of outsourcing tried to take contact centers from you know, downtown urban lo locations into secondary or tertiary markets. That's how Omaha became contact center capital of the world for a while. Uh, and then later going to nearshore low locations such as uh, Central America or the Caribbean or parts of Canada. Uh, and then ultimately going offshore to places like India and the Philippines. You know, you know that introduced people from different backgrounds, and you know, and you know, again, a completely different set of life experiences, all that could, you know, feed into the this con this nascent industry that has become, you know, you know, customer contact centers, customer satisfaction, customer service, customer experience, and and really populated it with lots of different stories, lots of different points of view, and and uh, lots of variety, and it's variety that they say is a spice of life, and that's really I think what what's made my career and many others so so interesting is it's never the same job two days in a row. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more, and I think even more so. And we'll talk about it later when you talk about the pandemic and people going remote. There's this personal touch that you start to even inadvertently get from people being remote. Uh, whereas when they're in the office, right, sometimes you'll hear a dog in the background bark or a kid coming up and saying hello, right? And you start to feel the humanity of people and start to experience different things. So it'll be interesting to see how people have started to connect differently in, in this remote world. But before we dive too much into that, we've kind of uh, talked about this not always being the first thing people think of as a dream job. And what we find is a lot of people that we talk to end up saying, you know, but what I do now, what I've what I've been able to now become or the things I've been doing lately and the things I'm going to be doing uh, are a dream for me. And they are things that I really enjoy and they're, they're really what I wake up for every day. Is that the case for you now with what you're doing? Yeah, that's been that's been the case with me for the vast majority of my career. You know, prior to hanging out the consulting shingle with Taylor Reach in 2003, I spent almost 20 years in the BPO space building and running a large BPO. And one of the things I really enjoyed there was being able to not only help our client organizations, you know, improve the service, the, you know, the service quality, the customer experience that they wanted to provide to to, to their customers, but we could actually, you know, help our own our own staff, our own resources. We could help those individuals grow and blossom and, you know, and, you know, and, and move towards achieving their full potential. And it wasn't always, you know, sitting in front of, you know, a computer console wearing a headset, you know, some grew, you know, within the organization and moved on to senior management and, and C-suite roles. Others moved, moved out, but they, you know, but they built their careers in part based on what they learned working, working with, with, with that firm. Um, so, so that was very exciting. And, you know, the, the activities I'm doing today since 2003 with the Taylor Reach Group, we help organizations achieve their contact, you know, success in their contact centers, however they define that. And we've seen clients define that based on cost. You know, we want it to be more efficient and, you know, cost less or generate more revenue. We've seen clients, you know, identify that as customer satisfaction or, you know, or, you know, improving customer satisfaction, reducing customer effort, increasing our NPS score. We've seen it in terms of employee engagement. We want, you know, we need to, you know, reduce 
turnover. We want to create a career path. We want this to be a career, not a job. All we get to play in all of these areas, you know, and frankly, I can't think of a whole lot of things which would be much more fun that people would pay you for. So, um, you know, um, it's it's really been great. It really has evolved into a dream job. And, you know, and, uh, you know, it's uh, it's been great for 40 odd years. So uh, I've got no complaints. Well, that's awesome. And I think as we talk about the Taylor Reach Group, you know, back in the early 2000s, when this business was really coming to, to uh, fruition, um, was customer experience really important back then? And, you know, what was the driver behind that and just saying, hey, we need to build this company and customer experience has to be at the center of it? Yeah, uh, I, I think it was. Nobody spoke really about customer experience. You know, in the late 90s and the early 2000s, we were talking about you know, customer service and, you know, maybe customer satisfaction surveys, um, you know, and e even the, you know, uh, the, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, NPS question was, you know, was, was, was nascent and, and it was born at about that same point in time. And organizations started to think about, you know, how we can keep our customers coming back, how we can drive repurchase, how we can improve lifetime value and how we can, leverage this large resource of generally entry-level people serving our customers to 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 make them happier with the organization more satisfied customers improve repurchase improve referral improve pass along you know and so the concept was there though it hadn't really been formally characterized as customer experience at that point that that's interesting that you mentioned that because it almost feels like a, the term obviously wasn't ready for the things that we were already looking for wanting to accomplish but now it has this focus right and so now you obviously have also this interesting title right chief chief forgive me chief chaos officer um talk to me about that and how does that work within this whole realm of customer experience in the customer service world well uh that title was given to me by a client who said that uh, we the taylor reach group were really good and calling in particular was really good at bringing order to chaos and or, as they said to contact center chaos and if we look at you know if we look at a contact center and we look at it as, as sort of a whole it's you know like as as a single entity it seems pretty straightforward it's a little it's a couple of little blocks on the org chart there's a bunch of people there they talk to customers what's well, a big deal as we begin to to drill down or start to peel that that, that onion, we we just see there's layer after layer after layer of things going on, and there's there's interconnectedness between the various things we're doing in the contact center, our people, our processes, our technology, our methodology, the way we make decisions, the data we lo look at, everything is interconnected. And if you don't have a holistic view of it, if you can't view it as a whole and understand that level of interconnection then it appears that things are rising and falling in in, in in a purely chaotic fashion. You know, you got this issue over here, you got that issue over there, this ju just happened. It's like, you know, juggling a hundred balls at once and trying to keep them all in the air. Uh, or the other analogy I, I like, it's it's like being at that midway, you know, you know, at, you know, at a state fair or something, you know, and pulling a string you know, not knowing what it's connected to. And, and that's what happens in contact centers. Lots of levers, lots of things moving dynamically in real time that impact other outcomes. Sometimes we get the outcomes we expect. Sometimes we have unintended consequences. So there is a great opportunity for chaos. And it's really trying to get some structure 
around that chaos so so that we can understand how things work together and then we can you know re re reduce the the chaotic activity to a manageable level and function and understand what you know what are the what the causal relationships are and then we can work and drill down through root cause analysis to find the better way of doing things that things that, that always exists i love that and you know when you think about it there's always that joke. It's like, what do you mean? Everything doesn't work in a silo and you can just manage it work <laughs> on it in a silo, right? And it's each piece will take it at a time. And, you know, we talk about, um, you know, this uh, approach that you really focused on as a business, right? It's that hands-on holistic approach. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've kind of dabbled a little bit of that of saying you got to treat the whole, not the piece. There mm -hmm. are layers. But you also talk about, you know, this holistic customer experience. Can you give some more definition to that and how does that apply and work in conjunction with your approach of hands-on uh, improvement? Well, I, I think that, you know, we've, we, we all have lots of different experiences in, in our lives. And so, you know, um, I'm not always comparing my experience I have with my, with my mobile carrier, you know, uh, with other mobile carriers. I may be, you know, you know uh, measuring that experience with the experience I had with Amazon or that I had with my utility or with my cable television per provider. Um, so we, we, we need to understand that there's lots of different measurements and points of perspective and that from a contact center, we have to, we have to treat that as sort of a, a single whole entity. And we want to make sure that the customer experience that we're delivering within our own little world here is consistent. If we, you know, it, it is not uncommon to find that we may have some types of interactions handled internally. Some may be handled through a third party. We may have a different team that handles social media and yet a separate team that's handling emails or chats or SMS, you know, pick your channel. And are, are they all working to deliver the same service? Are they all, all measured against the same customer satisfaction, NPS or customer experience scale? In many organizations, they're, they're not. So, so forget worrying about whether or not you're comparing my service to that of Amazon. Worry about whether or not you're comparing my service to, to the guy on the other side of the office who still works for the same company. Are they consistent? So we really want to, to treat the customer experience that an organization d delivers as a whole. It needs to be consistent across all channels. You know, you, you, you really don't want best of class in one area and, you know, and lagging well behind the, the, the median in others. All that does is serve to, to confuse our, own, our customers. And it, it erodes the goodwill that we may be creating through, through white glove service in one part, part of the business with degraded service in another. Um, and it isn't just the service metric. It isn't just what is that CSAT score or what's your NPS score that, that matters there. We then have to look, and this is what I spoke about earlier, how everything is interconnected. Well, in order to get to that score, we need to have a number of things ha happening appropriately at the same time. We need to make sure that we've got the right people with the right skills you know, and the right training available at the right time on the right channel to talk to the customer. Well, that, so that's people, process, technology all rolled in together just to just to impact scores we make it on quality and that may need our workforce management has to be in place our quality management programs have to be in place we have to have effective training coaching ongoing training all of these things need to to occur we you know and we can't look at them 
from a siloed perspective and say, hey, we need to upgrade our technology because that'll fix everything. You know, you know, all really good te you know, te te technology is, is going to do is allow you to, you know, maintain your same level of errors and screw ups, but do it much more consistently. So, um, you know, it, you know, uh, technology isn't the answer. It is a answer, you know, but we need to find out what is the appropriate answer and what part of that, you know, tech technology or process redesign or, uh, you know, our personal d d development of staff is going to play. So it, it really needs somebody to take a hands-on approach to touch all those pieces within their span of control in the contact center uh, to, to ensure that the customer experience is consistent and that we've properly equipped our staff with the tools, they, the tools and training they need to delight our customers or to achieve the customer, the desired customer experience, whatever that may be. And then we need to look more broadly across the organization at other touch points and other points of customer interaction and look for alignment or points of variance. Because if, if we're going in different directions, again, we're, we're creating a level of confusion and confusion is never good for loyalty, repurchase or satisfaction. So um, that's a bit of a long-winded explanation but but i think you know you you need to look at the whole thing as as a single entity as, as an organism if you will because it is living it is breathing and it is constantly changing you have to understand what are the elements that make that make it up and you need to be able to to, to get in there you know, with the appropriate tools to, to to build shape change modify create retire whatever you know is, is more appropriate within those elements that that support that ultimate the delivery so uh, we we refer that as hands-on holistic design. Running a contact center these days takes a great deal of courage and fortitude. Nobel Biz would like to salute the contact center community for not giving up and working hard to drive their businesses down the road to success. As the promise keepers of the industry, our goal was to provide one of the most versatile and cost-efficient omni-channel solutions on the market. Nobel Biz Omni Plus is a cloud contact center software that gives instant access to a full range selection of channels from voice calls, two-way SMS, email, WhatsApp, Twitter, Telegram, among others. Our solution offers complete control over the externalities by switching from an on-premise technology to a cloud-based solution in just a matter of hours. Get integrated compliance support, advanced reporting, seamless agent and supervisor dashboards, and many more performance-enhancing capabilities, all in just one product. Nobel Biz Omni Plus, the future-proof solution for scaling contact center operations. Learn more about Nobel Biz Omni Plus at www.nobelbiz.com. So much good information. And so I kind of <laughs> want to pull some nuggets out of this that really resonated with me. Let's start at the beginning when you talked about comparing your experience with another brand and may not even be in the same type of experience. Mm -hmm. Meaning my purchase from, in your example, Amazon is not the same as my purchase from what I got from your mobile provider. But that still doesn't mean it doesn't influence your expectation as a consumer to say, this is what left me with delight to use your term, right? Or mm -hmm. a memorable experience from my side of it is what made them feel like this was worth remembering. And mm -hmm. that could be a, a bad memory or a good memory, right? But, <laughs> yeah. but, but it was memorable. And 
and in that vein, you sit there and go, well, you know, one of the things is consistency, right? If you're consistent in what you do across the journey, the touch points where um, you provide a service or a product to somebody, uh, you'll start to reinforce their experience with you, right? Whether it's a good one or a bad one. And so I can just imagine how I get a really good service in person at a business. Then I got to call them and it's a nightmare or vice versa. I go in person and it wasn't that good of an experience, but then I have to call them or engage them online and it's a great experience. So this idea of your holistic approach, I love because it's so true. You have to look at the whole journey, not just, well, my department starts and ends here. My mm -hmm. staff's part of the puzzle starts and ends here. I have no control of what that other department does or how they approach the consumer, right? And I think that's where we miss the boat is where people want to be able to feel like, you know me and you are where you want me to be and I am where I want to be. And we met at the same place instead of two ships just passing in the night. So there was a lot of good insight there is you have to also know your customer and if you don't yeah, and your know, customer sorry but you're you, you're exactly right your customer wants to be recognized they want you to know that that you're you that you're a customer that you know that you're a fan you're doing business with them not with somebody else um so we all crave to to be recognized and you know and we need that consistency as you said across all channels and touch points and that really starts with alignment you know or guiding principles what is the touchstone that, that we want everyone in a customer facing role to, to keep in mind you know what you know are, are there two or three words that, that that can sort of sum it up is there a point of philosophy which can be used one of our clients had what would bob do bob was a ceo so if Bob was standing here in front of the customer, what do you think Bob would do? And there was no wrong answer. You could never be wrong doing that. And you'd never be, you know, penalized for it, though somebody might come up and say, how, just explain how you thought Bob would do that, you know. But, you know, that, that was one way they tried to unify service delivery across multiple diverse channels, including the contact center and walk-in, so. Yeah, and I love that idea that you keep it short, right? And then you start to have people think and believe what does that mean? It's not always just a written script of if you follow these 10 rules, you're going to have perfection every time, right? Even though there are parts of the business and it makes sense to have that, but that top level alignment is huge. And even here in, in our company at Noble Biz, our president says, you know, uh, learn to be comfortable saying yes and be uncomfortable saying no. That doesn't mean you can never say no and you always have to say yes. But that philosophy is also just thinking, what do you have to do to that to be a yes. What would it take? And when do you actually have to say no versus it just being comfortable to say no to something? So let's kind of move forward to another topic about the future, right? We keep talking about the future in a lot of our other podcasts and even some of our live um, conversations. And we'd love to know your perspective of the future. What do we see going forward? And I know one of the things you've talked about is increasing self-service as part of the future. Can you unwrap that a little bit more for us? Sure. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, there's this you know, whole sort of meme out there that robots are going to take our job and, you know, you know and one day my Tesla is going to fire me or something. It's, you know, it could be just around the corner. I haven't checked with Elon on that of late. Uh, but, you know, the, the reality is, is, you know, self-service, automation, AI, if you will, you know, the philosophy behind it hasn't changed since the mid-1980s when the first IVRs were starting to, to hit the market. You know, you know, the, you know the, the objective then was take 
high volume, low complexity tasks, and let's do them in the IVR. Okay. Well, that's exactly what we're talking about now when we talk about chatbots. Let's get, you know, high volume, low complexity tasks uh, that, that, that we can that we can train the system to to manage and let's let, let it handle it. So in some ways, everything that's old is new again. And, you know, and we're living in the future. It's just, you know, you know, it's, you know 30 some odd years ago, we were doing the same thing. Now we're just using different tools to, to do it. But machines are never going to replace the need for human touch as part of you know, delivering an effective customer experience, and it's never, and it's not going to replace humans in 99% of the organizations that have contact centers today. We will continue to automate low complexity, high volume tasks. And what is you know high complexity, and what is you know you know versus low complexity? What is high volume versus low volume? That differs by organization, and it may very well differ and change over time. As you know, as we're able to automate one task and then, then another, then another, we may nibble and eat more into the stuff that heretofore we thought had to be handled by a human being. Now, all of that said, where I think you know we're, we're going to continue to see AI, we're going to continue to see digital agents, we're going to continue to see chatbots, voice bots, you know, IVAs as opposed to IVRs, virtual agents, virtual assistants. We're going to keep seeing that evolution, and it's going to allow us to do more and more complex tasks, leveraging that to technology. And typically now, I think we're, we're going to see that technology is going to be common for, for whether it's deployed digitally on your website or it's deployed digitally through your phone system as a voice bot you know, or a voice assistant. Um, so we're going to see some you know, consistency across communication channels there. But I think the more exciting area, frankly, is, you know, because we can all, we've all dealt with chatbots and we've hung up the phone and said, oh my God, that was horrible. You know, you know most, you know, and I forgot the statistic, but it's only like 75% of all chatbot initiatives are judged as failures by the people who, who implemented them. Yeah. And typically that's because they start with this real simple idea, let's just do a this. But, you know, but, you know, but as they, they start to go down that path, they keep adding more and more to it. And pretty soon it's trying to uh, you know, address this mammoth list of 83 different tasks, none of which it can do very well. And then they deploy it and it fails the delivering most of them and people are zeroing out and looking for agents and complaining about how horrible the bot was. Um, you know, so, you know, the KISS theory, you know, keep it simple, stupid is, is still the best approach, you know, for, for building out, out a chatbot. But, you know, I, I think the more exciting area, you know, we will make fewer mistakes as we go forward in, in chatbots and uh, voice bots, et cetera. But the more exciting area is really on the agent assist side, you know, being able to provide tools to the agent, either that will be agent controlled, will be there for agent awareness, or will be initiated simply by the, by the technology or the bot, if you will, knowing the call process, the call sequencing and listening into the interaction and knowing what to get. For example, if we know that this is a refund request or it's related to an order that was placed yesterday, then the, the bot can go and it can fetch delivery status. It can go and bring up the order detail. It can go up and see if there's, you know, if we have any of this inventory in store near the individual and all this can happen without the agent having to do anything. And it can be presenting information to the agent, while at the same time it can be showing you know, customer sentiment, um, you know, uh, you know, in, in in some form, you know, you know, tr 
traffic light or color coded so so that they've got that you know real time feedback on the interaction itself um, that is going to allow agents to be much more effective at handling the increasingly complex calls and contacts they're going to be dealing with because we've we, you know as i mentioned we keep hiving off the you know the 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 low complexity activities pretty soon all we're left with is very high complexity tasks and in order to do those and to do them efficiently we're going to need to be able to support that agent you know that frontline worker with the right information they need to work through the process and the faster we can do that and the more intuitive we can make the technology that supports and underpins that the more successful contact centers agents and the organizations employing them are going to be well you're just a wealth of knowledge right you got again so many <laughs> good points where i i want to sit there and i want to tackle some of them right and i want to just kind of elaborate on some pieces at the beginning i couldn't agree more with you with the idea that the technology for high volume, uh, you know, uh, uh, interactions that aren't complex, uh, but you have to do it right and you have to know what your customer wants or you have to be able to give an experience where your customer didn't know they wanted it. But now they go, oh, wow, this is actually better because they may not have asked for it, but mm -hmm. you were able to anticipate that this could be the next way of doing stuff versus shoving it down their throat and hoping for the best. Right. You look at going to the supermarket, you have the regular line that you interact with a person and you have the one where you self-serve, right? Mm -hmm. In the very beginning, any little glitch that would happen, it'd fail, you'd have to wait for somebody forever to come help you out. Now they got to staff someone there that knows how to fix those issues. And they can have six to 10 lines running off one person, more efficient, but hopefully for those that want that experience, it makes sense. Same thing with the IVR analogy, right? Or bots even. If all I'm doing is creating a high percentage of people that are now upset, now I have to have even more soft skills and better skill sets with the agents to be able to de-escalate this person that's upset with me to be able to interact and have a positive interaction of why they even reached out to me in the first place, right? And so finding that balance and that holistic approach you talk about is great because now you can say, I'm going to focus where technology on its own makes sense, which is in the self-service and maybe even after their interaction, right? I'm going to have people listening to calls or maybe scoring calls and things like that. But then we get to what you're talking about now, which is now really exciting because we're starting to see it more, which is what can you do to enable those more complex interactions with the representative and the agent to have a better, more effective and efficient, successful call in real time without them just being alone and then relying on a human being, hopefully to engage with them like their supervisor. And so when you talk about real-time guidance, you talk about real-time information, feedback, uh, rebuttals, um, giving you know the, the information that they're asking for, like balances on things. It's awesome because I think in the future, what you're doing is just upskilling and you're improving the individual's ability to serve the customer where they want to be met. So that's awesome. Now, one of the things that we talk about, though, when we talk about tools and the front life and staff and being able to make sure they have the right stuff, what are the tools that you think right now more than ever are the most important tools you really have to have in the contact center to have and deliver high customer satisfaction? That's, that's a difficult question to answer because you sort of need a combination of the right ingredients. And you know, tools may be too much of a you know uh, technology-focused approach. Yeah, you know, it, it 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 has to start with the right people. So you know if we are you know if we 
look at what are what we're going to be doing in the contact center. We can then you know, we can then look at what are the skills and competencies that an individual needs to be able to be successful in that environment. Now, if we're hiring people that don't have those skills, competencies, or personality traits, um, then are they going to be successful? We're going to have you know they're they're going to have a difficult time. If they're having a difficult time, our customers are going to have a difficult time. So we can start right there with the, with the original job description and whether or not we've even mapped and identified the skills and competencies. We need, you know, if people have to wait for 40 minutes on, on hold and with a pandemic, we've all experienced that a few times, mm -hmm. people get frustrated. You know, why don't you have enough people here? Did you not do proper workforce planning? So. You know, so then on the tools, you know, so we may have a tool to assess skills and competencies or customer service mindset or sentiment, you know, uh, analysis to to profile our staff on coming in. We may need a workforce management tool or suite to ensure that we get the right people in the right places. We may leverage our quality monitoring system so so that we can progress uh, folks up a a structured career ladder, if you will, so they can move forward and improve the quality of what they're doing. And that may involve deploying an ACM model, adequacy, competency, mastery, or something similar of that kind to place the onus more on the employee than on the employer. Um, you know, obviously the, your contact center platform becomes a key. You know, there's, there's, all, there, there's long been a debate, are we better to have an all-in-one where all the, all the contact interactions are managed through a single platform, or should we be out there with pointer niche solutions and you can find advocates on both sides and frankly i could advocate on both sides depending on on, on what the situation is but the the advantage of an all-in-one typically they're, they're perceived to be less effective you know let you know they're not as good a solution as, as often the way they're presented that isn't always the case there's some very good ones out there but it does allow you know to manage everything that that frontline staff is doing through a single window you can view it through a single lens and know exactly what they're doing which makes reporting a lot easier, which makes analysis a lot easier, which makes it easier to, to look at optimizing processes and, and the way we're doing things. If we have dedicated work groups on dedicated platforms with no single view to see them, you know, without that one ring to rule them all, if you will, if you'll forgive the Lord of the Rings reference, um, then it becomes much harder to get that same level of analytical insight to allow you to optimize your environment. That isn't to say it can't be done, because I've seen it done. It's just, it, it becomes a big lift for a lot of smaller organizations that may not have that IT or you know, BA uh, you know, horsepower to, to make those things happen. So, you know, so the contact center pl platform, you know, whatever it is, is, is critical, you know, and that, you know, that then takes you right into CRM. And, you know, contact center pl platforms and CRM, pl you know, platforms are, are marching closer together. So, as, you know, as we see now, you know, we can certainly embed our phone system within Salesforce or within Dynamics, but Salesforce and Dynamics now have voice offerings, you know, both very soon, uh, you know, I would expect they're going to have, you know, our, they're, they're going to have contact center offerings. So, um, you know, so the, you know, so the CRM is trying to eat the contact center platform business at some level and the contact center platforms have been introducing you know, light CRMs and, you know, more tightly integrated CRM connections. So they're going the other way. So, and at the same time now we've got CCAS and UCAS driving together, you know, witnessed the agreement uh, the other day with 8x8 and Genesis, you know, everyone's trying to get into the same car. It's, this is like going to the circus and seeing that clown car in reverse. 
and you know all all the clowns are trying to get into the car they're not all coming out of it and where there's just a lot of uh, a lot of activity moving towards that consolidation point um so and we haven't even and I haven't even spoken about bots or agents sentiment or learning management systems or knowledge bases, all of which still become part and parcel of what you need to look at and at least consider as you're managing your and designing your contact center. What are the right tools for you? And so you you know I always start with what are we trying to to deliver, you know. You know, who are we going to get to deliver it? How do we know we've got the right people? How do we know we've got the right processes? Then how do we know that we've got the technology to support those processes with these people and in the, in these skill sets to get the job done? And then it's a question of designing out your methodology so you know what it is you're measuring, what you're basing your decisions on, and how you can do deep dive analysis, things like uh, root cause analysis, you know, et cetera, you know, you know, machine learning, data mining, and, you know, really have that whole backend piece to help you continually improve the process. A famous African proverb says that if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. At Nobel Biz, we have made it our mission to travel far and wide with our partners and clients. As a complete telecom services provider with over 20 years of experience in the industry, Nobel Biz offers the only voice carrier network designed with the sole purpose of serving call centers around the world. This contact center dedicated carrier network provides crystal clear voice traffic, up-to-date compliance tools, intelligent routing, and highly secure data protocols combined with 99.9% .9 uptime and easy setup. Our goal for 2022 is to become the ultimate partner and provider for the contact center industry by placing service quality at the top of our priority list. To top it off, at Nobel Biz, we have the most competitive cost per minute model in the industry. Need proof? Reach out to us and learn more about the Nobel Biz Voice Carrier Network at www.nobelbiz.com. Everything you've just stated really is the, still the tip of the iceberg, right? There's all the stuff that's behind what you've said and more that you haven't mentioned in, in that response. And so what I always find is businesses don't always have resources in-house that not only know this, but are all on the same page on how they're going to approach such an initiative. And then ultimately the time and the resources to take on such a project. And so that's why I find a lot of times companies will get things done. They will improve stuff. They will add the next shiny object, but they normally don't have this holistic approach internally on their own. And that's just the inevitability that the company as as it is, is relying on resources that have other full-time jobs and other focuses where they're not able to really see the whole journey and how do you collectively make that, that impression. And so it's always so great to have companies and people like you in the space that really talk about it from a perspective of, have you taken all this into account? And more often than not, it's like, oh my gosh, we haven't even started to think about that. <laughs> well, well, we don't know what we don't know, and everyone has a day job. So everyone, to some degree, has blinders on, focused on their on their core area. They may have some peripheral view of what's going on around them, but they don't have that 50,000-foot view, and they don't know the art of the possible. They don't know what's out there that they hadn't thought of yet. Um, and it, it, it's, it, it's difficult for an organization to know where to in, you know, invest their limited resources. Are we better to try and improve our, our agent retention or are we better to invest in this new piece of technology? 
Now, the technology, frankly, always seems sexier than the, you know, than the people side. But, uh, you know, but you could make an argument that, you know, that especially in the days of the great resignation, uh, you know, attrition management, agent retention, customer, you know, a, you know, agent engagement, employee engagement has never been more important. So, you know, organizations need to understand where they're going to get the best bang for the buck. And that often is going to either be achieved through some kind of an independent benchmarking exercise like where do they compare to best practice where are the lo what's the low hanging fruit you know what's the easy wins or they're going to look to, to look at bringing in somebody to help them do an audit or an assessment now my only caveat there is there's a lot of folks who have the title of consultant who are effectively shilling for somebody else right you know it's like uh, you know we you know you know you know we can do that and we won't charge you any money for it but you know but the chances are it's going to end up recommending something that's provided by somebody that's going to give them that consultant stuff, some kind of compensation. So um, I think it's important that organizations understand who they're dealing with. They may want to go that, that route because they don't have the money to pay for a consultant, but they have to, you know, they need to do that with their eyes open, that this is not an independent perspective. It may be very good advice, but it's still biased or influenced based on what other financial agreements may, may be in place. Um, you know, you know, and similarly, they, you know, they, they need to know if they're hiring an independent consultant, then they really don't have a horse in the race. You know, they don't they don't have a product to sell. Um, so the only thing that they are selling at that, that point is their time. So, um, you, know, you know, organizations often will influence their, you know, their their roadmap based on going to conferences or seeing what did X, company X, you know, you know, X do or company Y do. Um, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, who, who the CEO golfs with sets the priorities for the organization. Yeah. Um, but other times, you know, they're, they're, they're looking at independent benchmarking, things like what are the best practice organizations doing? You know, uh, what are, you know, you know, what are, you know, what's the top 10, you know, top 10 or 15% of, of all contacts? What, what do they have in common? What is different? You know, and, and there are benchmarks out there, which you can go and you can, you know, compare yourself to those and, and get a report which highlights where, where you can go. Um, and then you can bring in an external consultant who, if nothing else, is going to be the fresh set of eyes, but they're also going to be able to understand and, you know, and, you know, delve into the, in, the interrelationship of things that people may not see internally simply because they have those blinders on. I meant, I mentioned a moment ago, you can't see the forest for the trees when you're in the middle of the forest. Totally makes sense. And I think one of the things you said earlier around the great resignation, the people, it's not always the tools, you know, it's how you use the tools, but if you don't have the right people, uh, it, it doesn't make as much sense. And so sometimes we talk about the cross between the CX and EX, right? And we want mm -hmm. to talk about the experience. Do you have some best practices or feedback around how do you get the employees to be loyal, to be uh, involved, to be engaged? And where does that align with the EX impacting the CX? Yeah, I, you know, I think it was... Uh... Um, the CEO of, of, of Southwest, uh, Mr. Kelleher, who said that, you know, that he wasn't interested in customer satisfaction. He was more interested in employee satisfaction because it took happy employees to make happy customers. And I think that, that there's a lot of truth in that. And there's, you know, and a lot of organizations haven't paid attention to that or didn't pay attention to that until fairly recently. But I, I, I think that, you know, that if we want to, you know, we invest a lot of money hiring staff. You know, if, if you look at, you know, uh, you know, contact centers with 20, 30, 50% annual turnover, you look at BPOs with 100% or more annual 
turnover. We've seen organizations with 300% per annum mm -hmm. turnover. Now, they're, you know, they're spending, you know, I don't know, four, five, eight thousand dollars a person on that recruiting, hiring, onboarding, training, putting on the floor cost. And if they're leaving, then you're just, you know, you're just, you know, just turn, you know, turning the crank again and getting more of the same. So we you know, we need to think smarter about how we, you know, how we manage those those finite people resources. And I think that that the pandemic has really allowed people a different perspective on what work could be. Folks who never really thought about working from home because that never was really an option for a contact for most contact centers. Yeah. You know, less than. 10% had remote agents pre-COVID, uh, and then everyone had remote agents, it seems. Um, and, you know, so they got to thinking, well, maybe this is a possibility. Maybe that I can rethink the, the way I work. And the organizations lagged that, and, you know, and as a result, uh, all of, you know, a lot of folks reconsidered what they wanted to do to spend their career at. So I think that we need to, you know, we, we need to treat our staff fairly. We need to make sure that they know what the job is before they start. You know, you, know, you don't want folks who just come in want to complete the training and then they'll quit because they don't want to do that crappy job. Um, so, or they don't know what the job is and they only find out in training and then they vanish and, you know, and become a no-show during the first week of scheduled work. So you really want to give them that day in the life. Ideally, you want to have them shadow a, an agent on the floor, you know, live or virtual so that they can see what this job actually is going to be. You know, I, I'd rather lose somebody before I bring them in the door, before we start investing in the onboarding, hiring training. You know, if, if we can scare somebody away, I, I'd much rather do that. Let's scare them away early, and then we can make sure we've got better matched people. I would test for skills and competencies. What do we need to be successful? If you don't have those, you can, could be a really nice person, but you're probably not going to be happy here. And if you're not happy here, you're not likely going to stay. And if you're not going to stay, I have to replace you. Um, and, and then we need to make sure we train them properly and we need to be transparent with our policies and procedures as well we we have to be fair and equitable you know at the end of the day you know, uh, you know a, a huge number of agents we do agent focus groups all the time will tell us that they don't think that their supervisors are fair they think they're biased they like so-and-so better so-and-so is always getting the you know this or that you know and there isn't the transparency into the decision making that sometimes could eliminate that that you know, human nature perhaps but that perception that that, that 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 somehow you're being disadvantaged more transparency you know the the the, the light, shining the light of day on these decisions telling people why they didn't get the job or what skills or things they need to do to be better qualified the next time around is much more helpful than just saying no and putting somebody else in a role because then the the individual is going to they're, they're going to jump to their own conclusions. We can tell them why, or we can let them guess. And if we let them guess, it'll almost always be negative to the organization. Yeah. And I think, so let's not do that. Yeah. And, and when you mention some of those best practices during the hiring process, because there's so much churn, right? There's so much turnover. And then if you have a bunch of unhappy employees, of course, that's going to manifest in a potentially higher likelihood of a mm -hmm. negative experience with your customer. So when you talk about the testing, when you talk about showing them what the day in the life of this role is, that they're not going to be blindsided and show up for day one virtually or in person. This isn't what I signed up for, right? Yeah. And the cost of you front loading that may seem heavy and you just get rid of a ton of people that apply. 
But wouldn't you want to just stick with the ones at the end that you can focus your time on? You may actually get that extra season or that mm-hmm. extra couple months or even year out of that person, knowing that the cost of replacing them is going to be X and being able to make sure they're the right fit and they're going to be able to be there, which is awesome. But you also talk about this other part where we're starting to focus on, you know, how do you get people engaged? How do you get them to want to buy into the mission, into the business? And I always feel like when employees really understand their role and they feel that things are being fair. And when we talk about fair, it's like, no, no, that's not fair because I didn't get something and everybody else got it. You know, everyone gets a trophy idea, but there's also this other dynamic because people have to know what they're being measured for mm-hmm. against. How do I get there? Am I getting close? Am I missing the mark? Um, what is your expectation? And that dynamic, especially in a remote environment, training, onboarding, continuous training, being able to know if you're doing well or not. What are you seeing the trends in that place where we're seeing things either adopted that we didn't do as much or we're doing now or things that we're still falling short on and making that a success? There, there is a lot, you know, we spoke about chaos earlier. There, there's a lot of chaos in a remote. Yeah. Um, very few organizations managed a smooth and quality transformation. Most of them, it was blind panic. Um, and some of them have got better, some still haven't. Uh, but there's a lot of things that, that need to change to support remote work that didn't change in many organizations. You know, we, we are used to training people by having them in a classroom and reading them PowerPoint slides. That's the most common way of training. Well, there are like 83 things wrong with that from the point of view that it doesn't employ adult learning techniques. It's not interactive. It's boring. <laughs> it doesn't allow people to progress at their own speed. It doesn't allow them to check their progress. There's all kinds of things wrong with it, but it even gets more wrong and inappropriate when, when we get a new hire and we send them the PowerPoint deck and say, review this, and then can some, somehow magically consider them trained. Um, we need to change our processes. We need to change the way we do things when working remote, because if we don't, the people just feel more isolated and likely more depressed. And there's been numerous studies that said that you know, feelings of isolation and depression have increased with people w- working remote. Those are going to be feeders to lead people who want to find a different job as well. So inadvertently, we're, you know, we, we've been stoking the fires of the great resignation because we have failed to adjust our practices to the reality of remote work. And while everyone thinks remote work is great, you know, I don't have to commute, I save all this time, I don't need a separate wardrobe, I'm not buying my lunch. It is, and it benefits the organization. You know, uh, you know, and the, you know, the, it was, the, it was the businesses that, that was terrified of remote work because they thought everyone would be sitting at home watching Ellen all day long and not really doing anything. But to their great surprise, productivity actually went up when people went went remote because there's fewer distractions. But we need to have that infrastructure to support them there. We need to be able to train them more effectively because they have less less ability to call on their neighbor and get assistance. They're actually more on their own working remote, and the training we're giving them is actually less less effective than what we would give them in a contact center uh, in the bricks and mortar environment. So we need to have those tools. The processes have to change. The way we evaluate quality, the way we do check-ins with individuals, cha- you know, has to change. You know, you can't just be listening to the buzz of the contact center as a as a supervisor or team lead might, you know, while still working on on reports, and they would notice. A change in, in the tone. Something's happening. Something's going on. I can I can hear it. Um, you 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 lose that ability. So now we've got to rely more on what we can see, 
what we can read in the data and the reports and and making sure that we check in with, with each individual so a lot of organizations i think are very immature on that full transition to to remote to get in place those tools those that have them in place i think have had a much better have had a better time with re with retaining staff and with building agent engagement you know and engaging agents to 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 a purpose to a mission um as you mentioned christian is is critical we want them to align to what is the good work we're doing why you know how do we contribute to you know contribute to society you know we may not be saving the world we may not be you know be saving the whales it may you know we may be you never know we may you know it uh, but there is some way we are contributing to to our local economy to our you know our regional economy to the national economy to the world economy we're, we are all making a contribution understanding what that contribution is or what that contribution allows us to do as organizations and individuals in terms of donations and causes we support is important people like to be connected to something positive and so we have to try and cast that lens for them so they can see it yeah i, I think knowing the fact that um not everyone has the same driver and when you're remote you have to be that much more aware of what drives your team, what helps them be engaged, what allows them to feel valued and heard. But at the same time, for you to be able to measure what success looks like and to be able to drive it in a way where the amount of communication and the type of communication you have can now be aligned with the outcomes you want for the business. Mm -hmm. And as long as you can do that, yeah, I've seen people where they do now have opportunities where they've been more efficient, they've been able to be more productive. At the same time, we have to be aware of mental health. We have to be aware of that sense of community that some people really want and need to feel like they're not isolated and they're not in a situation that keeps them from being mm -hmm. successful. Uh, so finding that balance is important. So talking about balance as we finish up our great conversation today is uh, something a little bit more personal. So Colin, we've dove deep into a lot of really great topics, but really in essence only scratched the surface. But for you, when we talk about balance, how do you find and manage a work-life balance in your own life? <laughs> Not well, actually, but- uh, <laughs> answer, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's, but, you know, if you enjoy what you do, then then work is fun, right? And because, you know, you know, uh, you know and if you don't enjoy it, work is a four-letter word, literally and figuratively. Um, so, you know, um, you know, I I enjoy what what I do. I enjoy reading about other people doing similar things, other points of view on how to solve the same types of issues and challenges. I enjoy helping organizations. I do some volunteer work with not for profits, and I provide free advice to them on how to do the same types of things I do for for, for money uh, uh, during other parts of the day. You know, I, I like to read. Um, I like to travel. Not that I've been able to do a lot of the latter. You know, with COVID, I did, you know could do a lot of the former with it, but. You know, so, you know, uh, uh, you know, I, I like to read, I like to travel and I like to, you know, I like to help people in organizations and I get, you know, I'm fortunate I can do that in my job and I can do that in my personal life. So, well, it's important to have a purpose and the fact that you can fulfill a lot of that purpose, both in your work life and in your personal life through the things that brings you joy. It's great. Now, look, Colin, it has been awesome having you on the show. There's going to be people that are going to say, I have to connect with Colin. How, <laughs> how best can they go about doing that? Well, they can visit us at you know, our website at uh, www.thetaylorreachgroup.com. 
They can send me an email at ctaylor at thetaylorreachgroup.com. I know, horrible URL. You would have thought I would have been smarter in 2003, wouldn't you? <laughs> um, or they can give me a call, you know, uh, you know, my direct line, 416-276-9068. So, uh, you know, always there. They can find me on LinkedIn. They can, you know, uh, I've connected with, you know, nine or 10,000 of my closest friends on LinkedIn and uh, have a similar no number on Twitter. So I'm active on both of those channels as well. So, uh, uh, yep. And if anyone has any questions, I do, you know, we do give out free advice. You know, I'll talk to anybody for an hour for nothing. So and uh, see if there's anything that, that that makes sense to pursue. So, well, I'm sure, Christian, this has been fun. Yeah, it, it's been a great time. Thanks so much for joining. Obviously, our audience, please connect with Colin and his team. And like you said, you know, that first hour is free, but I'm sure after hearing that hour, you're going to want a lot more. Thanks so much for joining. We look forward to talking to you again soon. And then obviously our audience, have a great rest of your day. Thanks for, so much for tuning in. Thanks, Christian. Thank you for joining me in this conversation. If you're enjoying and learning from this podcast, please subscribe to our YouTube channel for exclusive clips. If you're listening to this on Apple and iTunes, we'd appreciate you leaving a review or hitting the five-star button. On YouTube, you can leave us reviews, comments, and suggestions for future podcast guests. In addition, if you want to get more valuable content on the contact center world, go to nobelbiz.com. My name is Christian Montez, and thanks for listening to another episode of First Contact Stories of the Call Center. Stay tuned for our next episode.